Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this week's Fireside Chat. As we enter into a long uh, weekend, we are really appreciative to have all of you with us today because we do have um, some important information to share related to our phase two of our eventual return to the workplace. I'm Lisa Stearns. I'm here with Dr. Tim Cross. Um, we do have a special guest. <laughs> And that is Dr. Marcy Souza, who will be joining us in just a few minutes. But first, a little housekeeping. Uh, remember to keep your audio muted during the conversation. Use the chat function. If you would like to ask a question, you can post that publicly or send it to me privately. And also do remember that there is going to be a recording of this session and it will be placed on the coronavirus website um, at the first of next week. So, um, Tim, the UT system and UT Knoxville campus have both released documents with ideas and recommendations for bringing students back to the fall in the fall and, um, of course, reopening the campus. How do these plans, in your opinion, relate to UTIA? Great. Thanks for kicking us off here once again, Lisa, and, and welcome everyone. Good to see uh, all the uh, faces from across the state and across campus uh, with us uh, once again today. Yeah, as, as Lisa mentioned, you, you may have seen uh, either or both of, of the reports that were released last week, and, and actually, while those are University of Tennessee specific, there's a number of reports uh, coming out nationally about best practices, procedures, guidance for higher education, for colleges and universities, uh, and, and all of those uh, different documents really provide some ideas, examples, recommendations uh, to attempt to manage risk, to uh, help us to have a safe place, uh, particularly for our students and, and our faculty and staff engaged with those students. Uh, and in general, it, it attempts to give everyone some, some uh, practices to follow uh, that we can all have some assurance that we're doing the very best we can to manage through this crisis. Uh, as Lisa mentioned, uh, the focus on both of those documents, I would say, even though it's not exclusively on students, it's largely on students. And if you think about a campus like the University of Tennessee Knoxville and bringing 29,000 plus students back to our campus at, at a, in a very short period of time. Obviously, that takes a lot of thought, uh, it takes a lot of preparation, and it takes a lot of planning. And, and that same thing can be said for all of the University of Tennessee campuses. So a lot of, of those uh, documents, uh, ideas, and so forth really pertain to being ready this fall or late this summer uh, for that uh, real uh, surge in student numbers and what we can do to prepare for that. So as far as the Institute of Agriculture goes, certainly our Herbert College of Agriculture uh, is directly involved in, in the student return. But uh, if you think about our College of Veterinary Medicine, UT Extension and Ag Research, we don't uh, start up uh, in the fall. We're still hard at it. And so we, we've got, again, uh, a different point in time for us uh, that are not directly involved maybe in the traditional academic programs. Nonetheless, there are some ideas still in those reports about this fall uh, as it pertains to research, as it pertains to outreach and engagement, as it, uh, and it uh, has some statements about visitors or guests uh, to our facilities. 
and all of those are, are areas that we need to pay attention as well. So we're, we're certainly uh, involved with uh, both of those uh, efforts that, that re resulted in reports this past week. Dr. Marcy Souza was a part of the UT System Task Force uh, that uh, issued the report uh, by, uh, that was uh, led by Dr. John McCullers out at the Health Science Center. And uh, we had several of our faculty uh, and staff involved in the UT Knoxville's task force, which had a total of about 82 members uh, that helped to develop that report. So we've been at the table. We've uh, been sharing uh, our needs, our, our challenges as those reports have been developed. And certainly uh, we'll continue to, to stay on top of uh, those uh, at the system and at the Knoxville campus level as we uh, continue to implement our own plans uh, for the Institute of Agriculture. So there, we've talked a lot about the whole idea of a phased-in approach. And as we as an organization um, continue to move ahead with a phased re-entry, um, our goal is to begin phase two on or after May 30th. That's the date we've been talking about. So what do you think phase two is going to look like for us? Good, and uh, again, we've got several different uh, documents that guide this, uh, depending on where you're located and what your responsibilities are, you may need to look at, at uh, a different document. So for our off-campus folks, uh, UT Extension and Ag Research, both have documents on, on the uh, UTI coronavirus website uh, among other places uh, that describe uh, the phases of our re-entry to the workplace and, and specifically spell out uh, phase two, obviously. And then for those on campus, the UT Knoxville plan still guides uh, our activities here on campus. And finally, for the College of Veterinary Medicine, they're, of course, in a different situation in terms of uh, their needs to provide hands-on training uh, for students and their need to serve uh, the public uh, with regard to our animal uh, clients. So uh, College of Veterinary Medicine has their own uh, guidelines and procedures that they've been sharing. But in, in, in a general sense, all of those plans for phase two uh, really are, are not drastic changes from where we've been. It includes all of the same requirements that, that we've been following. And it uh, mostly just indicates uh, the opportunity to bring back as necessary additional staff to increase our capacity. But it, all of those plans also uh, continue the expectation that as many of our staff as possible continue working remotely. Uh, so the majority of our folks, which, you know, if you say what's the majority, well, more than 50% are still going to be working remotely, even in phase two. And the, uh, the practices that we follow in phase two Again, by and large are the same as what we've had in place. We're gonna uh, continue, in fact, uh, even emphasize more uh, the need for daily screening, uh, which has been in place uh, uh, throughout phase one. Uh, we're also gonna emphasize uh, good hygiene practices. Uh, I keep hearing more and more that uh, hand washing and effective hand washing is, just can't be done enough. So uh, we're gonna continue that expectation and then also using appropriate uh, personal protective equipment and especially masks uh, will still be a part of our uh, response in phase two. And as you think about uh, in, in those offices where a few more people may be on, on hand, uh, all of those things really become more important because there are more opportunities for direct contact. 
So uh, following good practices, making sure we're doing the screening every day uh, and wearing our masks when we're not in our offices uh, really becomes uh, even more important. So uh, that's what phase two looks like. For those who were expecting it was all hands back on deck, uh, that's not the case. And that's why this is called a phased reentry. Uh, we are not, uh, again, flipping a switch and going from one state to another. We're gradually uh, increasing uh, those who are at the workplace uh, slowly over a period of time. So uh, that's what phase two will look like. And then let's also talk for just a minute about when does phase two happen. So in the counties, uh, the county offices are looking at uh, their number of cases in the county they're located in, and they need to be in touch again with their county director and their regional director to determine when is the time to move to phase two. Uh, and so we'll have to do that on a county by county basis. Uh, the research and education centers certainly uh, can look for guidance uh, from the dean's office uh, from Ag Research. And for the UT Knoxville folks, uh, we know that phase two will not start prior to May 30th. So uh, that would be the very earliest, uh, May 30th. If you look at the calendar is next week. So that's still at least a week off. Uh, and we'll just see what, uh, what the numbers look like and what the decision uh, campus-wide is with regard to starting phase two. So as we can all imagine, having to re-enter on the campus is it's just a much more complicated process. And we've been establishing many recommendations and requirements as we go along. And um, it's, it's really kind of challenging to understand them all. So what resources are available to us and what, what, what will those expectations for us be? Yeah, that's a great question. And I don't know about you. Uh, I feel like we've just had rules and procedures and guidelines coming at us uh, from different directions, uh, including from me, uh, almost on a daily basis. And it gets hard to remember what am I supposed to doing to be doing? What do I have to remember to do? Uh, what are the requirements? Uh, where is one place where I can get all this information? You know, you can sift through uh, our guidelines that are on the UTI coronavirus website. You can watch some of the past fireside chats, you can read some of the past messages, that gets very time consuming. So uh, thankfully, our UTIA coronavirus task force took on the challenge of really trying to pull all this information together, put it in one place, if you will, and package it up for each of us so that we can have a good uh, snapshot of what the expectations are, what the requirements are, and how we can go about doing our part uh, with regard to reentry. Uh, that's been put together as a 15-minute uh, uh, video training program, and it will be available on our Kate uh, web platform. So uh, that uh, very soon will be announced. Uh, look for it uh, early next week. And the expectation is going to be that all of us complete that training. So I know uh, many of us kind of cringe when we hear, hear that there's another mandatory or required training. But I think if you consider that this is about your health and safety and the health and safety of those around you, giving up 15 minutes for this, I think is, is uh, really a small uh, commitment on each of our parts. Uh, I've certainly done it. Uh, our whole leadership team has been through the training and I think you'll find it uh, informative, helpful, uh, fast-paced and, and something that uh, will be uh, useful to you in, in the weeks and months ahead. 
So we'll uh, be rolling that uh, training out to everyone, as I said, uh, early next week. But in the meantime, I'd also like to give uh, a shout out to our UTIA task force uh, and particularly the lead for that task force, who has been Dr. Marcy Souza. Uh, Marcy and, and the whole task force itself has done a great job. And so today's special guest uh, is uh, our own task force uh, leader, uh, Dr. Marcy Souza. She's in the College of Veterinary Medicine. She directs uh, the public health program there. Uh, she's uh, been just a, a really solid, uh, dedicated, uh, helpful, positive leader throughout this uh, virus. And, and I want to say my own uh, personal thanks to her and the entire task force for the extra work and the extra time they've put in uh, in helping us lead. So I'd like to turn it over to Marcy now, and I think she may want to share her screen and share uh, just a few things with you uh, regarding uh, how we move forward and, and maybe some helpful tips and tricks uh, to make things a little easier in the days ahead. Thanks, Dr. Cross. Um, I wanted to say hi to everyone out there across the state, hopefully, and um, hopefully we're all looking forward to our three-day weekend ahead. I know that I am. Um, and what I was going to do is, uh, first of all, I'm going to share my screen and hopefully I can pick the right one. Mm -hmm. And so what I just want to do is first thank all the other members of the task force that have really been instrumental in uh, the various tasks that we've been dealing with since early March. And the most recent one, as Dr. Cross mentioned, is we've put together a 15-minute video that really what we're trying to do is make sure that you're uh, I guess up to speed with all of the things that we want to practice as we return to our workspaces. And so not just in Knoxville, but across the state. So what are the best practices that we're going to do to keep ourselves as well as our coworkers and clients and everyone else healthy? Um, and so that push will come out, I think, early next week. Um, one of the things that is in um, that video, and we'll move on to the next one here, is uh, most of you have probably seen some information about doing a self-screen before you actually come to your workspace every day. And so the initial is, ugh, what is the, why are we doing this? Um, you know, I think it, a lot of workplaces have found, certainly in those areas that have had higher case counts, that doing a self-screen every morning before you leave your house is really important to identify maybe some subtle signs that you may actually be on the early stages of infection. And so this went out, I think, maybe earlier this week or, or last week. And, um, you know, the thing is, is there's not an app per se to put on your smartphone, but a couple of smart folks on campus um, came up with um, how to make this essentially an app on your, on your phone. And so this is what it looks like if you actually go to the page and it's got a couple of questions just asking, you know, what sort of symptoms you've had, do you have a fever? And the thought is that you would do this every day before coming to your workspace. And I know that I would probably forget to do this. And so one way is maybe to set yourself a little reminder um, that before you head out of the house to go somewhere to go ahead and do this real quickly. Um, and the idea is that this will actually go to your supervisor. So at the bottom of it, you put your supervisor's email in. And so the question is, is how can we make this easier without having to navigate through your iPad or your phone or whatever it is? And so um, for all of you out there across the state, um, there's a way to make it into essentially an app, either on an Android or an iPhone. So if you've got an Android, go ahead and take it out and I'm gonna walk through how to actually make it into a tile on your home screen. And so if you go to um, your browser and you go ahead and pull up selfscreen.utk.edu, I'll give you a second to do that. And if you're on an iPhone, you can do essentially the same thing and I'll show you the buttons here in a minute. 
So once you get to that home screen, there's gonna be these three little buttons up here, the three little dots. Just go ahead and click on that three dot menu. And then you'll get this drop down bar that says add to home screen. Go ahead and click on that. And then say add, and then it should give you a tile on your home screen. And then similarly, if you're using an iPhone, Go ahead and go to your browser, open that same selfscreen.utk.edu. Go down to this little uh, icon here. I'm not really sure what it is, <laughs> but go to that little guy and click on it. And then similarly, say add to home screen. And then it'll come up here and say add again. And then voila, there it is on your home screen. And so all you do is you click on this, it'll automatically take you to that site without having to navigate through any sort of browser. Um, you will still have to log in and do the double authentication, um, but you're already on your phone, so it should be fairly simple. And then you can just go ahead and do those quick questions and enter that email for your supervisor. And that hopefully will make everyone's life just a little bit easier every morning before they go to work. And I will stop sharing there. Any questions or other further comments? You'd like me to make Dr. Cross? You've covered it well, Marcy. <laughs> uh, we, we're we're going to, you know, maybe shift you over and become an IT specialist. Uh, no, well <laughs> that's not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> not a good idea. <laughs> well, thanks. You know, I, I hate things that I have to remember to go do every day when they're not easy to do. So uh, I think for each of us being reminded of, of answering these questions is important. Uh, and it, it actually uh, triggers an email to your supervisor saying, you know, uh, you are now uh, screened and, and you know, healthy to come to the office. Uh, that is all that goes to your supervisor. The answers to those specific questions do not. So uh, it's an easy way to, uh, to get this done daily. And for, for your coworkers then who may be at the office to have faith that, that we've all screened ourselves and that we're all uh, in, in a health status that doesn't put others at risk. So uh, good, good uh, tips there to make this easy. And anything we can do to make things more easy and more streamlined at this point uh, is certainly helpful. So that uh, self-screening will also be described in the training. Uh, that's part of the content as well as uh, uh, other aspects of what we need to be doing uh, as we re-enter the workplace. So uh, the 15 minute video will cover that and more and watch for that again uh, early next week. And Marcy, did you want to make just a few comments about the training, the contents of the training and the importance of, of going through that? Sure. We, um, this was a training that was originally put together by the UT Health Science Center as a way to make sure that everyone that was coming back into um, their workspaces were aware of you know, what their actual risk was in terms of contracting the disease. And so when you think about most folks that are on this call, compared to someone that's working in a human hospital, our risk is going to be quite a bit lower. Um, but that's one of the things that it addresses is what is your risk relative to, um, you know, who you're being exposed to, but also in terms of your own personal health for developing those more severe disease. And then the other thing that it really focuses on are the steps that we want everyone to think about as they return to those workspaces. So what are those personal habits that you can do to help keep you safe, as well as your coworkers and colleagues that are um, gonna be sharing space with you. 
So it should be, it's pretty pain-free. Unfortunately, um, you don't have to listen to me most of the time. Um, it's uh, Dr. Lisa Washburn, and who I think her voice is much better than mine, but I think most of us always hit her own voice. Um, but so she actually did most of the narration. And um, there's a few questions at the end, but as long as you're you know, paying attention, you'll be fine. And for those who didn't see, um, Marcy will provide us that PowerPoint and we can distribute that so that everyone can have the instructions on how to bookmark those on, on your phone. So great, thank you so much. So uh, remember, if you have questions, to be able to uh, post them in the chat. Uh, we do have one, um, Dr. Cross, and that the question is, uh, what is the status of the extension conference scheduled for November? Would that type of event still be on? Great uh, question. Uh, and at this point, uh, November <laughs> seems like a, a century from now, doesn't it? On the other hand, if we're not planning for it, it's going to be here before we know it. Uh, right now, our guidance only carries us through July 31. Uh, in terms of uh, no longer having public meetings, public events, large gatherings. Uh, I expect uh, that uh, we'll continue to follow CDC guidance, and I believe the next uh, logical step for the CDC guidance is going to be expanding uh, the uh, uh, ability to hold public meetings of up to 50, and then perhaps the next step beyond that might be 100, and perhaps the next step beyond that may be you know, no restrictions. Uh, when those uh, uh, milestones are achieved is still uh, a huge question mark. So uh, really difficult to determine what uh, November holds for us at this point. I know uh, I continue to be asked uh, both within University of Tennessee and externally from other groups, what should we do about the fall, about the winter, about the spring? Uh, I think uh, it's it's really challenging to provide concrete guidance uh, at this time. So I, I guess uh, my opinion is it, it wouldn't hurt to continue planning, but it also wouldn't hurt to have a plan B and to see uh, how things play out uh, throughout the summer. I know hotel contracts and convention center contracts and, and uh, you know other kinds of commitments with facilities that doesn't work too well. They expect an answer today or they already have a contract in place. So that certainly provides a challenge. The uh, organizations that I'm involved with that have those kinds of agreements, in most cases, uh, those facilities are, are at this time not willing to cancel without a penalty, but they are willing perhaps to, uh, to reschedule, uh, postpone, as opposed to canceling, uh, again, in, in most cases. So that might be something to consider if, if it needs absolute certainty today. Uh, that, that's probably the avenue to explore. Uh, if we can uh, wait just a little longer to make a final decision, that's probably another option as well. Uh, I wish I could say for sure what we could do in November, but uh, we're just not at that point yet. So along the lines of um, conferences, someone is asking if uh, can people start registering and paying registrations for out-of-state conferences that might be held in the fall? So I, again, I think our guidelines right now say, you know, we're, we're restricting that until July 31, which implies starting in August, then there, there are not restrictions. And I don't see that changing at this point. In other words, I don't see extending that uh, any further at this point. 
But I think our guidance also says uh, try to wait as long as you can uh, before making those commitments, because if something were to happen and we were to uh, see a, a big surge in numbers that would require us to further restrict uh, out-of-state travel, then we're, we're obviously going to be incurring costs for having uh, made travel plans and then, then uh, canceling those plans. So I think, uh, again, not knowing what the future holds and not knowing what those uh, travel commitments might be and what the planners of those events might be thinking. Uh, if uh, it wouldn't hurt to put a, a reminder on your calendar or hold the date on your calendar and it wouldn't hurt to uh, uh, register if it's not a huge financial commitment, but I would hold off on, on airline arrangements certainly uh, till uh, later in the summer. Uh, and if possible, I wouldn't make huge financial commitments uh, until later in the summer as well. So here's a question for you. With everyone on different time schedules, some county offices in phase two, some not necessarily in phase two at that, this point, will there be a place where um, people can go to find out what phase of county office is in or should uh, everyone just reach out to their county director and work through it county by county that way. I know that uh, there's been talk uh, and discussion about having a, a heat map or a, a interactive map that would show uh, county extension office status. I don't believe that's been uh, activated since we went to a, a, a remote working uh, status, but as we enter phase two, the county offices will be uh, open to the public again, and so that will be, I think, uh, uh, important to make that service uh, active once more. Uh, I'll need to follow up with Dr. Burns and, and uh, see what the Extension Administrative Team uh, has in mind with regard to uh, providing that information. Meantime, I know if you go to the Extension Coronavirus page, it has the uh, county map and county directory there, and it's easy to click on a, a county and certainly find their contact information, including a phone number and, and give them a ring to find out if they're open or not. Again, it, it'd be uh, even more helpful to be able to glance and see uh, what the status is visually uh, for those of us who interact with more than one office. So I think uh, I'll follow up with Dr. Burns and his team. I don't think Dr. Burns was able to join us today, but uh, we'll be sure uh, we have some, some information on that. If you see who uh, may be with us. See, Dr. Bushermole's on. Mike, uh, do you have any information uh, about uh, status for our county offices? And Mike Stanley, you may have to enable Mike Bushermole's mic. I see he's live now. Mike? Can you hear me? We can hear you, Dr. Bushmole. Thanks. Okay. Good afternoon. I know each week that uh, the Extension Administration team meets with the regional directors, and this past Wednesday we kind of get an update on where the counties are, which ones have gone to the next phase, and so I think it's a good idea that we put together the the, the map like you talked about, and I'll bring that up to Dr. Burns later on this afternoon when I talk to him. Great. Thank you, Dr. Bushmole. I know Tammy McKinley was very helpful in getting the first map put together. 
good. Yeah, as we were phasing down, offices were closing uh, here and there, but then they all closed. So uh, it's pretty easy to show the map when they were all closed. Now we're we're phasing up again. So and well, I Cammy already said yeah. uh, we can make it happen. So I saw go. that, and then I know that all the regional directors are keeping, you know, a, a spreadsheet. I think is what they're using. So we can make it happen. Good deal. Thanks, and thanks, Jerry Lamb, for uh, for chiming in on that. Appreciate it. Okay, so here's a question, another one for you on events and um, the whole idea of social distancing. So uh, is there a feel if social distancing is going to be a requirement for future events or meetings after July 31st? Because this person has observed that um, it's a challenge in large uh, events that even in a recently opened public area, that it's been observed that um, it's hard to document <laughs> from the ground and floor, like what is actually a six foot difference? Yeah, boy, it's a real challenge. And, and I think it, it is likely to be a continuing challenge, particularly if it's an event that puts uh, a, a larger group of people in a, in a confined space for a long period of time. You know, I think we've all had experiences of going to the grocery store, right? And there's more than 10 people in the grocery store at any point in time, but we're not standing or, or in close proximity to any one of them for an extended period of time. Whereas many of our events, uh, if it's a, a classroom setting or even a meeting type setting, we're looking at prolonged uh, periods of time where we are uh, within fairly close proximity. So I think we are going to uh, have an expectation of continued social distancing in situations like that going into the fall and that that applies on campus as well. So if you looked at some of the plans that we referenced earlier today, they all talk about uh, ensuring that we don't have students sitting side by side uh, in the classroom, for example. So I think the same is going to apply to our meetings and events. But I also realize, you know, that's easier said than done. Think about a livestock show, for example it's not a classroom setting, it's not a meeting setting, but it's a lot of people milling around and how are you going to enforce or impose a six foot requirement uh, at any point in time? Uh, it's, it's just gonna come down to individuals uh, choosing to behave as, as we, we all hope we behave. And I think it also may, may well come down to uh, if, if we adopt and use masks regularly, that, that will certainly help. Again, it doesn't prevent the spread, but it, it helps protect others if you should be uh, asymptomatic, but a, a positive case, for example. So we're, we're still going to have to follow uh, best practices, uh, even as we see possibly scaling up the size of events that can occur. Um. So someone else has asked about um, phase two, and does phase two mean that 4-H specifically can start having face-to-face -face meetings or events. Yeah, and now my, my uh, expectation would be that we're still limited to audiences of 10 or less uh, for gatherings of any kind, whether it's internal meetings or external meetings, uh, but that up to 10 individuals is possible. So it, it depends what, what we need, mean then by face-to-face, -face, whether it's 4-H, agriculture, any other topic area. So it, it, 
we're still limited to uh, organizing meetings or events to 10 or less at this point. Uh, let me just invite uh, Marcy if she wants to comment on either of those two responses. Uh, any Anything to add or correct there, Marcy? Mike moved away. Um, yeah, so I think that we're, we're probably going to have to still be pretty conservative through the summer in terms of numbers. Um, and, you know, I think that one thing that we've been emphasizing to our veterinary students as they come back, um, because they're starting to come back here in the next week and a half, um, is that we're not really just looking at the summer that we need to see this as the long haul, that um, we don't have a vaccine, we still don't have a treatment. And so we need to think about this in terms of the next, honestly, academic year. Um, so we need to follow those those uh, CDC recommendations and try and keep our numbers as small as possible and keep social distancing. Thanks, Marcy. Mm -hmm. We're just full of cheery information today, aren't we? <laughs> I showed them how to make an app. That's at least fun. <laughs> <laughs> you did your part. And someone did share that a jump rope is actually six feet, so that could give you at least a visual of how far away that would be. <laughs> uh, great, great example. Thank you. Well, looks like that's it. Uh, everybody, I think, is is really excited about a three-day weekend. So, um, so Dr. Cross, any final thoughts you'd like to share, um, especially as we do enter into this Memorial Day? Yeah, good. Thank you, Lisa. And uh, I, let me catch a couple of things I did see on the chat uh, as we were talking. One was uh, a special shout out to Sophie Schmidt, who has really been a great help uh, with our website, uh, the contents of our website, posting the, the chats and so forth, and in the task force it has uh, provided her a lot of their information, but Sophie's brought it live for us. So I also want to say thanks uh, to Sophie. I see uh, Dr. Claudia Kirk says the governor uh, approved 55 individuals starting next week. So I think, you know, that's something to watch. But again, think about that being statewide, uh, but not necessarily mandatory anywhere, I don't believe. So uh, the university will probably be more conservative than that for the time being. Certainly on campus, we will be more conservative than that. I think uh, off campus, uh, Dr. Burns uh, and the Extension Administrative Team feel like things have gotten to where it is possible to, uh, to open up uh, to larger groups. We could consider that, but let's also think about our responsibility uh, in terms of modeling behavior and in, in terms of protecting uh, the health and safety of ourselves and those we serve. And remember that was priority number one going into this pandemic is we're gonna take care of ourselves and we're gonna take care of others. So even though it, it may be tempting to say, uh, you know, the coast is clear, everybody just come back and let's have a, a meeting of 60 or 70 people uh, think about the, the ramifications of that happening and then a large outbreak occurring and, and how that would uh, impact our programs and how it would impact the university uh, in, in the future. So uh, I'm like you, very anxious to be with people again, uh, to be able to interact with groups, to be able to teach, to be able to learn in group settings. But I also, like Marcy said, feel like, you know, we're in this for the long haul new normal is going to be different and so we've got to be uh, careful and not not let our guard down just yet and actually that was one of the comments I was going to make to wrap up is you know we're we are moving to phase two but let's not uh, give up just yet and say okay uh, everything's back the way it was 
uh, we need to remain diligent. We need to uh, stick with uh, wearing masks. We need to keep washing our hands. We need to uh, stick with uh, the distancing, the jump rope distance uh, uh, for the foreseeable future. And as Marcy mentioned, mostly we need to go home and really enjoy a nice uh, three-day memorial holiday, honor our veterans, uh, enjoy some time with family and, and friends, uh, small groups, uh, and uh, take a, a little bit of time away from coronavirus, if at all possible. Thanks to every one of you for what you continue to do. I continue to get positive feedback about how we're helping uh, on campus and across the state. And, uh, your, your hard work, your dedication uh, is still recognized and appreciated. Great. Well, thanks, Dr. Cross. And another nice visual is six feet is about the length of a cow. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, everyone. We appreciate you being with us and have a wonderful three days off.